Hello, my name's Colin Daniels. I'm the Working Age and Young People Service Manager for the Macula Society. Now, as you might know, the Macula Society hosts two live webinars each month focusing on all aspects of living with macular disease. We speak to leading experts, clinicians and researchers about the latest in macular disease. The first of the webinars focuses very much on age-related macular degeneration and the second on areas for people of a working age and a bit younger. Now we understand that not everyone has the opportunity to watch our webinars, so we have decided to turn some of the content into podcasts. The podcast will be available on all good podcast platforms. So here we go. We've got a session on ECLO services. Now I think ECLO services uh, and ECLOs are amazing. I just do. I thought they've been brilliant from from the day somebody decided they would be a good idea so we're going to we're going to meet Meclo then we're going to talk about a bit about registration because one of the questions I get asked a lot within my role is about registration and then we're going to talk to a Rovi or rehabber from Lambeth Borough Council so for those of you who don't know me my name is Colin Daniels and I'm the Working Age and Young People Service Manager for the Macula Society. Anyway, so without further ado, as they say, uh, so we have two speakers. Uh, so the first is someone I've known for quite a long time. I'm not going to say the word very because that's rude. I met uh, Jen when I was working for Action for Blind People a, a number of years ago. So uh, this is Jen Bacon from West Suffolk Hospital, and she's an ECLO. So good evening, Jen. Thanks for having me. Yes, I've known Colin for many years. <laughs> I'll say many. Yeah, 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 I think yeah. I've been in my role for 12 years now. So I'm the eye clinic liaison officer for West Suffolk Hospital. I started working with Action for Blind People as a pilot scheme. Um, me and a colleague in Ipswich Hospital did that. And it was a big success. If you know, It was something that we were both passionate about. My journey in terms of sight loss started when I had a son um, he's now 15 sorry Colin he was a baby when I met you um, <laughs> he's, he's he's now 15 and he's visually impaired himself so that was where my sort of start in in terms of wanting to make sure there was more support in hospitals and so we I started at West Suffolk 12 years ago and the role has really sort of been adapted since so really what the role is is it's a it bridges a gap between the health services and the community services just so that we make sure that everything is as, as accessible as possible and people are reaching their potential and their quality of life is maximised as much as possible. So my role is really to see people when they're first diagnosed with a condition. It used to be that the ECLOs were kind of just a one-off point of contact. So you sort of saw them once or, or twice, but in my experience, you see them quite a few times in their, in their sight loss journey because everyone's needs are different at different times. So at the beginning, when they're trying to digest that information, it's about putting them in touch with places like the Macular Society, Sensing Change, or for us that's Sensing Change, it's the sensory services. And it's just allowing them to know what support is available. And that can be talking about their diagnosis and the treatment plans as well, especially with macular conditions that where we're looking at injections and that can obviously be quite frightening for people. So it's about talking through that process and being there for them as, for that as well. And then often once they've started their treatment and, you know, sometimes the site is kept where it is for as long as we can, but sometimes the site can deteriorate. And that's when I come back in again is to look at how, where the challenges are for that person at that point. So it might be that it's now starting to impact their jobs or it might be impacting driving or it could be they're elderly. It's more difficult living alone. So everyone's so different. So great thing about the ECLO service is that you can tailor make it to it who you're seeing. 
So yeah, that I absolutely love it. In terms of it moving forward slightly, I also train members of staff within the hospital as well to be more visually aware. So I go around the wards and train different consultants and nurses and staff as well on, on sighted guiding so that patients that come in have that confidence in staff and there's some more awareness there. Um, so that's a big part of the role as well. And also my role has developed because I'm training. I'm about to do my last year of my degree in psychotherapy and counselling. So I felt that our patients, there was a, a lack of long-term support. And for me, it was, it felt quite, I was quite passionate about making sure that I was as qualified as possible to be able to support people with a good understanding of loss and bereavement, because obviously sight is, is that loss and, um, and I felt that the ECLO service, it would complement that. So we're looking at starting counselling clinics, but I'm also doing that within the sensory services at the moment as well on a placement. So I am seeing patients for counselling as well for sight loss. So yeah, it's sort of really sort of evolved over time. But I think that the main thing about the ECLO service is that patients have a point of contact so that they have an advocate for them. So we often have patients that might not have had their answers adequately met when they come in for clinics and they might be frustrated and upset or they want some support in making sure that they understand what's happening so my role is to really network with the staff as well and flag up any problems or to make sure that I'm with the patient if they need somebody to help listen so it's really important that I'm there in terms of um, for the staff so I've got to have to have a really good relationship with the staff that I work with and all the local services as well because the ECLO service is only as good as the services that are available so um, and what we know is available so we have to network quite a lot and make sure that we're up to date with the new technologies and the new people that are around locally and nationally and just making sure that we know of every service that's going to help every person individually so yeah and I've absolutely loved it I've, I've been doing it 12 years there hasn't been very few days that I've not wanted to go to work it's a it's a, a job I'm absolutely passionate about I think another thing just on the top of my head is about low vision as well. I work very closely with the optometrists, looking at equipment and um, supporting patients to try to think maximise their vision as much as possible. So um, understanding what their hobbies are and what, what, what they need to be able to see um, and what we've got available. So it's a very close working role, but also it can be quite isolating because there's only one of us. So, um, but it's something that you, you, you make of it what, what it is really. But I'll tell you, I know that Colin wanted me to talk about the registration because he finds that he gets a lot of questions regarding what registration is and are people eligible for that. But yeah, so registration is really important to link people into the, the services that are available. So it's not always imperative. It's not something that has to be done. You can link in with services regardless of registration. But it's really good evidence to be able to prove that you have a sight loss if you are in that criteria. So to be registered as partially sighted, you would need to have significant sight loss in both eyes. So it's not just if you lose one eye, you can be then registered partially sighted. You have to have um, vision loss in both eyes. And you obviously cannot be registered and hold a driving license. Those two things don't go together. However, if your vision is at a point where you could be registered, you wouldn't be eligible to be driving anyway. So that's the questions I get mostly around registration. It can help you if you want to claim extra benefits, because like I said, it has that supporting evidence. Again, it's not necessary. You can still claim benefits without registration if your vision is affected, but it, it is good supporting evidence. 
And in, in our department, what happens is, is that once a patient is in criteria, the consultant will refer them to the ECLO, which is myself, and I will go through what the process is and talk to them a little bit about the social side of things so that I can refer to the sensory team with all the information. And then it goes back to the consultant for signature. And then I send that out to, to the patient. Um, it goes in their hospital notes. It goes, in, uh, goes to their GP. And it goes to Moorfields Eye Hospital, which is where the Royal College of Ophthalmologists um, collate their information. And I'm trying to think there's one more place. And then I personally keep a copy. So there's, there's different copies that are available. Because it's a legal document and you sign the five places that it can be sent, I can't send it anywhere else. Or ECLO shouldn't send them anywhere else without consent. So sometimes the Blind Veterans UK might need um, evidence as well. So that's where you would need additional consent to send that off to them. But it's a, it's a really useful uh, document to have. Um, Michelle, if you've got, if you want to. Yep, I'm Michelle Dixon. I'm the rehab officer presently at Lambeth. Spent 10 years of my working life at DeafBlind UK, working with people with dual sensory uh, disabilities. At the moment, I'm working with the eye clinics, Moorfields, King, St. Thomas's and St. George within, within London itself. And really, we get referrals from the ECLOs, we get the CVIs, the Certificates of Visual Impairment from the hospital because we are one of the five people that receives a copy of that. When we receive a copy of the CVI, we're hoping that we can contact the person who is to be registered. They aren't registered at that time, but they're registrable and talk to that person within two weeks about wishing to be placed on the register. Now, this is a decision you make yourself, but at some point, somebody shouldn't have had a CVI filled in unless they've agreed to have that registration. But occasionally we have some that people don't wish to be registered and which is why we have to talk to somebody about that. Um, we then, again, we liaise with the ECLOs at the hospitals. Route to registration is the person themselves, if they are not registered and wish to be registered, they have to go via their GP with a request for registration if they're not open to the hospital presently if they are open to the to the hospital they can talk to their specialist or the ECLO or somebody at the hospital and explain that they wish to be registered now a few occasions we'll find that the, the consultant won't mention it to the person themselves either because it's a very emotional time when you're losing your sight or sometimes they feel that person is too young to be registered and doesn't want it to be a stigma so people sometimes miss the registration process and if that's the case it's well worth talking to your specialist about wishing to be registered there's nothing bad from being registered at all it can only be of a benefit to you as Jen said, it gets you the correct benefits, it gets you support, it gets you the help you may require, it gets you details of where you might want to go in five years' time when you've decided you need that help. And it also lets the local government, the local sensory teams know how many people there are in the area who are registered as SI, sight impaired, partially sighted or SSI register blind, severely sight impaired, so the local authorities know how many workers they need in place 
how the budgets are fixed. Obviously, the more people they have in one area, the budgets are higher for equipment or whatever. So it is really important, I feel, that people are registered to get that help. We can work with anybody who's got a significant sight loss. People don't have to be registered, but lots of people fall through the net if we don't know they are registered. So again, upon getting the registration, we would contact the person and we will talk as genders about how the sight loss have affected them, if there's anybody else in the family or anybody else who has a significant sight loss, we will go out and do an assessment to see if people A, are able to get out safely, B, are able to cook for themselves, provide a hot meal, want to make a cup of tea again, but are scared to do that which are rehab programs in mobility or daily living skills, or there's communication. If people are struggling with communication, uh, want to know, some people want to learn Braille still. We have a, bra a Braille group setting up in Lambeth in the next couple of weeks. And also the most important thing is really to talk about work issues, what your hobbies are, if there's other people in the area that we can link you with, if there's other problems with benefits, with housing. It's a whole a huge holistic assessment that we will do. And obviously that will change. So it's not just done on one day. And we will, can come out and meet you as many times as we need to, to enable you to go forward to a point that you're happy or want to be at. So it could be somebody is no longer getting out. So we will look at your mobility. We'll look at either a symbol cane, which is the shorter cane that you need probably if you've got some significant sight that you can use, but want to let other people know that you probably need support in an airport or a, a train station or a supermarket. If it's a guide cane or if it's the long cane, which entitles you to the long cane training. So again, routes to get you around your local area, to get you to work, to get you to sporting facilities or friends. And also if somebody is looking at applying for a guide dog, we would have to do three routes with that person so that they are able to direct the dog and know where they're going because the dogs don't pick up and you can't say to a dog, take me to Boots or take me to the butchers you need to know how to identify where you're going and where you are at any point. So like I say, there's mobility, there's daily living skills, and there's a lot of equipment available to you. Now, I do know each area and each borough works slightly differently with what they offer people. In Lambeth, it is fabulous. If I can say that this person needs this bit of equipment or this kit because they need to do this, I can get it. Other boroughs aren't always that good, but there's ways we can get around that. And it's how you work with management and, and, and budgets and things. So, again, we will set up any referrals. We network, network with all the agencies in the area, in the borough, nationwide. So it's a case of knowing who's where at what time, who can do something to help that person. And sometimes it's a case of thinking outside the box. Sometimes what we're wanting isn't available. So we think of other ways of doing things. I think the whole role of being a rover or rehab officer is to get things done, whichever way is legal and whichever way is the quickest.